With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby and joining me via the phone is Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, you are not in an airport today. You are you are <laughs> back in Northeast Ohio. Yes, I am home from LA. That was the last trip that I was just on. And Dan, I just picked a uh, picked the wrong <laughs> weekend to go to LA. Yeah, you did. Well, Le- LeBron decided to join you there, uh, not just for vacation it's his uh it's his new place of employment so uh, maybe maybe this is your fault mary Kay. it could be you know i'm i will never forget where i was when uh lebron made decision three we were both out in la and it was funny because um i had uber drivers and people saying oh yeah you've got a place over there or yeah he's probably over here at the waldorf astoria and it was funny because we were kind of uh you know keeping an eye open to see if we could find lebron james somewhere uh, in LA while we were there making this big decision. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's been laying pretty low, uh, but honestly, if anybody would have been able to find him, I, I probably would have put my money on you. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I gave it the old college try. All right. Well today, what we're going to do, and we're recording this here on, uh, on July 4th. Um, what we're going to do is we put some calls out for reader questions, listener questions, and we're going to go through 10 questions that we got uh, either through Twitter or on the site 10 Browns questions so it covers a whole bunch of different things we're going to start in familiar territory though the first question it comes from uh, a commenter named Shifty and he gave us a few of these Um, but his first question is will Tyrod Taylor have the best season of his career and I thought that was an interesting question because I think there's a chance that maybe statistically he could yeah, you know what? He probably could because I think he has more talent around him than he ha- ever did in Buffalo. Uh, I think that they're supporting him with a good defense and a good running game. And I do think that even though he has a Pro Bowl season under his belt, and he also has a season where he took the Bills to the playoffs last year, snapping their 17-year drought, I do think that statistically this could be a very, very good season for him, providing that some of these receivers – Uh, stick around on the field and produce the way that we all think they will, including Josh Gordon, including an Antonio Callaway. Yeah, I'm looking it up. I would say his best season was probably his first in Buffalo. Uh, That was his Pro Bowl year. Um, 63% 63 completion percentage, 3,000 yards, uh, 3,035 passing yards, 20 touchdowns, six interceptions. And then, of course, you always have to look at uh, 
the rushing yards, 568 rushing yards. It wasn't his biggest rushing year, uh, but, th- but that was probably his best season. The next year after wasn't bad either. Last year was a little bit of a step back, but, but still a strong year. Yeah, I mean, those are some really fantastic statistics, and I think the Browns would be thrilled with a touchdown-to-interception ratio anywhere close to that because, as we know, Dan, as you're looking at those statistics, uh, we know that Deshaun Kaiser – Uh, had more interceptions just last year, uh, probably by far, I think by six, than than Tyrod Taylor had in his four years as a starter in Buffalo. Yeah, and I I think the weapons thing that you mentioned is really important because he never had a receiver like Josh Gordon. You you know, he had Sammy Watkins kind of – he was never really healthy his whole time there. I know he had the one – I think he had the one big year in Buffalo, uh, but that was about it from him. And – you know, he had, he had LaShawn McCoy out of the backfield, had some good tight ends, uh, but hasn't had the receivers he's had here. And, and I think that's why you look at it and say, okay, there's a chance that maybe, at least statistically speaking, he could have a big year. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, he also has Todd Haley, who is, you know, obviously an accomplished offensive coordinator, calling the plays for him. And, uh, and I, I think that he really will uh, – play to Tyra Taylor's strengths, and that's what he's going to have to do. Uh, he's going to have to kind of get out of his comfort zone a little bit and um, and call the, you know, the read option stuff and some of the things that Tyrod is going to do very well. And if, if that all comes together, and again, it's a new offense for everyone. So Tyrod and everyone else on this offense, they're, they're learning a whole new terminology, Todd Haley's scheme and all of that. So um, it, it might not be a well-oiled machine right from the very start, uh, but I do think that all the ingredients are there for a good offensive season. Okay, that is question number one. So let's move on to question number two, sort of along the same vein. Uh, this one comes from a commenter as well, John Boy Walton. Uh, he says, who do you believe is going to be the Browns' breakout player of this year, including rookies? Uh, he just wants to know who could be a standout player, so to speak, someone to keep an eye on. A breakout player, we mentioned Tyrod Taylor maybe having a big year. Um, trying to think who else could could really have a breakout year this year well you know I I think that there's a chance that uh Denzel Ward could have a breakout year if if he gets on that field and lives up to expectations and is maybe able to also to get his uh, hands on some interceptions I think that could be uh considered a breakout year I think you could look at a Nick Chubb and think that there's a chance that uh that he could have a breakout year just based on what we've seen him do in OTAs and minicamp. I mean, he just looks like he's ready to, again, run through a wall. Um, so I think those are some guys that you think, I mean, I don't think we would really, you can't put a necessarily a Jarvis Landry or a Josh Gordon in that category because they've already had their breakout years. So um, I would probably tend more towards one of those younger guys. Yeah, maybe a Miles Garrett, uh, as you were going through those names. That was somebody that popped in my head. Could Miles Garrett you know, stay healthy for 16 games and have the type of year you'd expect a, a pass rusher taking number one overall to have. Yeah. And you know, I, that, that's a good one, Dan, because I think that even though if you look at his statistics from last year and you see that he had seven sacks in 11 games, that's pretty good. And I think most people would be uh, pretty thrilled with that for a, a rookie and, and for his sack production, but he wasn't happy with it. And I don't really think the Browns were as happy with it as they wanted to be either. He went through a sort of mid-season slump there where he had, I think, one sack in about six games. And 
they don't want that kind of a dry spell. They want him to be consistent throughout the season. So I think that he needs to get into double-digit sacks this season. And if he does that and is consistent all the way through and makes big plays too, including, uh, you know, sack fumbles and those sorts of things, then I think you could consider that to be a breakout year for him. Okay, let's move on to question number three. And this this is kind of two different questions because we got two questions about this guy and this position. So uh, we've talked about Denzel Ward pretty extensively on this podcast and his rise to the first team. It appears he's on the fast track to being the number one corner uh, in this group. So uh, one question came in, uh, what's up with EJ Gaines? Haven't heard a word about him. If he stays healthy, he has the best defensive back talent should become the starter opposite Ward. Uh, and then another question was, you know, we hear nearly nothing on the development and designated starter for the number two cornerback. Uh, what have we seen in regards to EJ Gaines versus TJ Carey? Uh, and also Brienne Body Calhoun and his role. So I'll answer that last part first. It, I, I would probably pencil Body Calhoun in as probably a, an option at nickel and, and kind of a, an option as well, maybe at free safety. But it has been interesting to see you know, Greg Williams has kind of mixed it up opposite of Denzel Ward. We saw Gaines kind of there early. Uh, Terrence Mitchell has, has played a little bit there. We've seen TJ Carey there. I'm not sure if there's really a, an answer to that as far as who the number two cornerback is yet. Yeah, you know, it, it's still somewhat um, up for grabs a little bit, but I think that it seems to me that TJ Carey is the front runner, and I've seen him there uh, more so than anybody with the ones. Uh, in minicamp, so at least in addition to towards the end of the minicamp. So I think that um, when they open camp, I don't know, I just have a feeling that T.J. Carey will be there opposite Denzel Ward. And um, and it's an opportunity for E.J. Gaines to, you know, to step it up and, and prove that he deserves that job. And I think that uh, they have some opportunities there. We've talked about this many times uh, with the versatility of all those guys in the defensive back here to move some guys around. Uh, but I think EJ and, uh, and TJ Carey will probably have a pretty good battle going in training camp. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a situation where we, you know, we love to talk about versatility, but most teams have their top two corners on the field for most of the game. Uh, they, they don't really rotate those guys out a whole lot. Maybe that changes if you have enough talent. But, um, you, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by Gaines. I, I think he's got a chance uh, to be really good, but health is, uh, health is an issue with him. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And, um, and, and like you said, most of the time you have two starting cornerbacks and you keep them in there throughout the game. But they play in so many sub-defenses now and you're playing against three wides so often that you, you need extra defensive backs on the field, and that's where the versatility is going to come in because uh, you can mix and match a lot of these guys in so many different ways. And like you mentioned, uh, Body Calhoun can play in the nickel. Uh, some guys can play, like you said, free safety and cornerback. You know, we've got Demarius Randall who can do that. Uh, so I think that um, they will get the best defensive backs on the field in those sub-defenses when you're going to have at least five of them out there. Okay, let's uh, let's stick with the defensive back theme. Um, someone asking about Jabril Peppers, and, and we saw last year. Uh, this is uh, Raul Havana, a commenter. Uh, if Jabril Peppers struggled reading plays from thirty yards off the line of scrimmage when he took bad angles and things like that, why would it be different if he's closer to the line of scrimmage? So basically, asking, you know, how can we how can we trust that Jabril Peppers is going to be able to make the adjustments he needs to make? 
uh, from what we saw last year to this year? Well, I think that's one of the reasons why that Derek Kendrick is still uh, pushing him for that job. I mean, he's going to have to, Jabril is going to have to come and take that job away from Derek Kendrick because uh, Derek has uh, more experience, a little bit more experience in the league, uh, and he's a good football player and they like him. And I think that Jabril is still learning a new position. And I think that not only will he, he's working at strong safety and free safety because he has some experience doing that last year. Uh, and I, I don't think that they're handing him this job. He's going to have to step up and prove that he can do it. Uh, I think the thing that makes strong safety uh, better for him, and, and there are a number of things, but one of those things is the fact that uh, he he's a big hitter. And I think that this will give him an opportunity to use his big hitting skills and be more of an enforcer back there. And also, you know, maybe get his hands on, some passes and, and intercept some balls as well, but he's going to have to earn this job. Yeah. And he had an interception in that last game against Pittsburgh and uh, you know, guess where he was playing. He was playing up near the line. Um, and I think maybe it's a, it's a little bit of a comfort level thing too, you know, getting back to where he's used to playing, um, having a little more freedom uh, to, to kind of be aggressive and, and go get the quarterback, you know, go try and hit some running backs. And, and honestly, I, I think, taking an angle from 30 yards away and having to read that play is harder than if you've got to read where a running back is going. Yeah. And in the scheme that they play, I mean, they, he played that deep, deep angel position way, way back there. So I, I think it is easy to, you know, to take a bad, bad angle and look, um, you know, kind of bad at times coming from that position. Not everybody plays, their safety quite that deep, but these guys were intent on not letting balls go over their head. And I think statistically they accomplished that, but now, you know, they need to take it to the next level, of course. Um, but that was, you know, that was a challenging position for him to play. And, uh, you know, now he's got some responsibilities. I think he's more suited for, and it's up to him to go out and grab it. And I think in the same way that Miles Garrett needs to, to step it up and have a, a big, jump from year one to year two I think Jabril needs to do the same thing okay let's uh let's switch sides of the football here and let's talk a little bit about uh the offense so we know about this offensive coaching staff you've got Todd Haley uh Al Saunders is still involved Freddie Kitchens uh Ken Zampezi you know these are guys that have been around successful offenses and been a part of successful offenses so this question uh it says, it really sounds like a solid staff for putting points on the board. That being said, what do you think this team could average per game? What's a realistic mark? This person threw out 25 points per game. That seems a little bit high, uh, but but what's a realistic mark for this team? Well, I, I think if, if you want to be winning football games, you have to be up in the 24, 25 range. You've got yeah, to probably. be up there, or, or you're just not going to win football games like that. So, you know, especially in today's NFL with uh, the emphasis on the the high-flying passing games and teams being able to get downfield and score in a hurry, I think you've got to be up in the uh, 24th. Do you have this statistic around, uh, Dan, for what they averaged last year? I know it was I'm actually pulling it up right now. It was 14. This is from Pro Football uh, Reference. 14.6 points per game last year. And then the year before (laughs) – the year before it was 16 and a half. And then the year before that it was 17.4. Yeah. 
So this team yeah, has been it, stuck in the team for bad. a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's been bad for a long, long time, and that's why there has been this increased emphasis, obviously, on uh, bringing a, a, a winning, experienced quarterback in here, in upgrading the receiving core, in bringing running backs in here. This is a different offense. It's got a new offensive coordinator. It's just a new day in terms of Cleveland Browns offense, and I don't think they're going to score only 14 points a game this year. I, uh, I keep hitting this previous season button on pro football reference. I'm trying to find the last time this team averaged 20 points a game. I'm all the way back to 2009, and I still haven't found it. I might have to go all the way back to 2007. Uh, there was one year where they came close. They were at 19. Uh, but 2007, they averaged 25 a game. Um, and I don't see another year where they got over 20 per game. Yeah, it's been a long, long drought, and I think that points to the quarterback uh, woes that this team has had all of these years. I mean, I remember back uh, when, you know, when Colt McCoy was trying to to win games back in the day. I think they were in the 18s back then. Uh, It's been a long time since they have had an NFL-worthy offense to, to trot out there, and it's about time, and I think that this will be completely different football to watch okay so so let's look at the receivers because there was a question about the receivers and and how many guys might end up making the final roster that's always a hard thing to kind of guess right now uh but we're looking at you know of course uh josh gordon of course jarvis landry you know Corey coleman uh, assuming you know we'll, we'll maybe get to that name a little later but assuming he's still uh, you know around is going to make that roster um but there's some other guys. Antonio Callaway will make it. There's not a lot of room for guys like Rashard Higgins, Jeff Janis, guys like that, Ricardo Lewis. Uh, the squeeze is going to get tight. Um, you know, do you, do, you think, do you think a guy like Rashard Higgins or Ricardo Lewis could end up kind of getting squeezed off this roster? Possibly. And, you know, they also drafted Damian Ratley. Oh, and yeah, I think, Yeah, I think he has some potential too. And when you draft a guy – especially when a new regime comes in and they draft players, those guys are going to get the advantage over the previous regime's drafted players. That's just how this business works. So if it comes down to Damian Ratley or Richard Higgins or Damian Ratley and Ricardo Lewis, you know who's going to win that battle, okay? They're not going to cut uh, a draft pick from their first year. So as long as he demonstrates good potential, now, of course, some of these guys can end up on the practice squad too. But, um, but as long as Damian Ratley demonstrates that, you know, that he's got good potential, he will trump one of those other guys uh, that was drafted by Sashi Brown. We've already seen that, uh, that John Dorsey doesn't necessarily love the roster that he inherited. And he doesn't uh, think very highly of some of the players that Sashi Brown drafted. So uh, I think some of those guys have that strike against them when you're talking about Ricardo, Rashad, those guys. I will say this. There's something about Rashard Higgins that I've always liked. And I thought he had a very nice uh, mini camp, OTAs. And I think if, it, if, if anyone survived from that last tier, that last group of guys, or you know, any of those Sashi Brown people, I think it would be Rashard. I, I think there's something there worth salvaging. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad you said that because I'm kind of with you. I, I saw him do I, I saw him make some plays in, in the spring. I saw him make some catches. Uh and 
look, John Dorsey was around when he had that game in Pittsburgh where he scored the two touchdowns. Uh, you know, John Dorsey was at that game, you know, sit, sitting right behind us watching. So uh, he, he's seen Rashard Higgins, even though he has been inconsistent. He's seen him perform, so so maybe that'll help him. Yeah, he hasn't had a lot of opportunities. I mean, he hasn't really had too many chances to, um, you know, to have the reps and all those sorts of things and to, and to really play all that much. But I think what he has, he's made the most of his opportunities, and I think he's a receiver worth developing. Another part of this question had to do with the return duties because uh, Jeff Janis was brought up. Um, and, and the assumption that this person made was that Jeff Janis and Jabril Peppers would handle return duties, but I, I don't know that that's really written in stone. I, I mean, that might be the way, and well, Antonio Callaway is going to make the roster, but that might be the way he gets on the field. Yeah, and, and you know, you and I have, have talked about Jeff Janice a little bit before. You know, he comes from Green Bay, and so the personnel guys obviously like him and see something in him. They drafted him, and they brought him here. So he's another one of those guys that, will have a chance to make the football team by virtue of uh, what the front office, what the personnel guys believe he is capable of doing. So he's somebody to keep an eye on. But when you look at his production uh, since he's been in the NFL, the production really isn't there. So and I'm like, how is he going to make this football team? It, it looks like it's going to be very difficult to me. But you always have to factor in, you know, who brought him here and what they had in mind when they acquired him. Yeah, well, you know, it's a good problem for this team to have, and, and it's one that they haven't really had in the past where they have, you know, almost too many receivers. And we know that that can change, you know, an injury here or there. Uh, that, that can change those numbers dramatically. But for right now, to have to pick and choose between guys and maybe have to send a good player packing because you have too many, that, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, they needed to arrive at that point. And there are certain positions where uh, there are actually a surplus of talented players, and it's about time. So you mentioned Sashi Brown, and of course we love to talk about Sashi Brown on this podcast. Um, <laughs> Toronto Mike in, in the comments brought up Sashi. Um, and he asks, you know, what is the true impact of Sashi Brown and, and his plan as it pertains to the Browns today you know are we still kind of trying to build whatever his legacy was is that in the past that's kind of what he's getting at uh, with this question how does Sashi Brown and what he decided to undertake a couple years ago play into where the Browns are right now well the legacy of Sashi Brown won't be fully realized for another probably three four five years and it will be determined by how Carson Wentz plays in Philadelphia. Does he take them to uh, a couple of more Super Bowls? I mean, he's already uh, had a tremendous, obviously, impact on, on the Eagles. Um, but it's, it's also what happens now with the Cleveland Browns. Did, do they, did they use these picks to, to turn into a championship football team? And did they, did they get it right? And did Sashi sort of set them up and pave the way uh, for them to do this? Now. Uh, and even then, there will be plenty of debate over the impact that he had on it in the end because, um, you know, he didn't end up drafting these guys from this year. So if, the, if Baker Mayfield has tremendous success, and I think, you know, that goes on John Dorsey's positive side of the ledger more so than, than anything that Sashi Brown did. So the legacy, we won't know 
for three or four more years, and it will will all depend on how the Sashi Brown guys pan out here. I mean, we have, we've already got, you know, Corey Coleman that we don't know how he's going to do, and most of the other guys that came in that Carson Wentz trade uh, have not really uh, done all that much yet to justify that trade. Yeah, there's, uh, I, I think, I think that nails it. We, we just don't know. Um, you know, even though his time is complete, you know, he stockpiled all these assets for 2018 and didn't get to use them. He passed on Carson Wentz. He, he passed on Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, I, I think maybe his front office would have seriously considered a guy like Baker Mayfield because he kind of was an, an analytic starling coming into the draft. Um, so, so, I mean, that's kind of an interesting dynamic in all of this. It, it puts a little bit of pressure on Baker to kind of, you know, you passed on two classes worth of quarterbacks so you could get one of these guys. You know, if, if none of these guys are, are worth anything and Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson keep going up, that, that's, that's going to be a, a black mark on his legacy. Yeah, I think in the end, if, um, if this team, this current team goes on to win a Super Bowl, within a couple of years, then I think you, I think Sashi Brown deserves some credit for that, for acquiring all these assets and for acquiring all the money that it took, uh, you know, to sign some of these players that they've signed. Uh, I think he will deserve an asterisk for, for some of that. Um, but it just all depends on if this team lands in the Super Bowl and wins one in the next three years. Yeah, exa- exactly. I, I think, uh, because, Go ahead. Right, Dan, because you're holding that up against Carson Wentz taking the uh, – I mean, he didn't finish it off, but Carson Wentz leading the Eagles to a Super Bowl. That's the standard you have to set the Sashi Brown regime by, is them winning that Super Bowl with Carson Wentz. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it's fair. Like, let's say this team goes out and wins seven, eight games this year, makes the playoffs next year, and, and ha- has a couple good runs and, and some of his picks and maybe some picks that – uh, came from some of those trades are a big part of it. I, I think it's perfectly fair to still give Sashi a little credit for what he did because, you know, that his plan was to really sort of, <laughs> you know, his plan was focused on on this draft um, because of all the assets he put into it. Um, so, so I think he's always going to be sort of a part of this story. Oh, he'll definitely always be part of this story. And it's just a matter of, of you know, your viewpoint or your vantage point on, on how you want to shape it, spin it, talk about it. But I think ultimately, uh, in the end, that, um, you know, that he, he will deserve some credit for, you know, for acquiring all of the assets that he did. And we've said this many, many times before that, you know, we didn't think, or at least I didn't think, that he was the right person uh, to be acquiring all the players and drafting all the players. And I think that he'd still be here today if when he set up his, front office and regime if he just would have hired a really good accomplished experienced general manager who had assembled a winning roster I think there was just that missing tier and um, and lo and behold it it just didn't work out and now here we are so we'll see how it goes yeah and, and this is a discussion for another day but I also wonder you know part of me wonders what would have happened if maybe the structure were built where he would have been that team president to hire the coach and hire a GM and, and all of that, that would have been, that's a discussion for another day, or maybe, maybe we'll just pass on it altogether. Um, <laughs> this is one from Twitter. Uh, someone replied to you, Patrick McGraw, 
Uh, he wants to know if there's anyone that you're looking at on this roster that you're kind of keeping an eye on as maybe getting traded before this season starts. Well, I suppose there could be some trades. We've seen that John Dorsey is absolutely 100% willing to trade away veterans on this football team. And I think it's already up to six. Um, And the one person that I would probably look at, and we've talked about this number of times before, would be Corey Coleman. I don't think that this team really believes in Corey Coleman. And if they are going to start believing in Corey Coleman, he's going to have to step it up this year. Everyone has been very vocal about this, that this is prove-it time for him, that he's got to show them that he's worthy of that 2016 number 15, over, number, yeah, number 15 overall pick. Uh, if, if he can't do that this year, then I, I don't think he'll last beyond this year. And I do think that if someone were willing to offer them something decent for Corey Coleman, that they, they would be willing to move him. Yeah, this this is an, an enormous year for Coleman. He's he's kind of the one I keep coming back to. And, you know, look, it would certainly be a controversial move uh, if, if they decided to trade him. I, I do think there's talent there. I do think there's something there with Corey Coleman. I think we've seen flashes of it when he's been healthy. I think he suffered a little bit from the bad quarterback play over the last year. Uh, I, I think there's something there. He's still got a – he's got a – toughen up a little bit he's, he's got to be able to make big plays out of nothing sometimes um I'll be honest I'd be a little leery about giving up on a guy like Corey Coleman but yeah I mean if you could get if, if they don't believe in him and they get a second round pick maybe or, or something like that you'd have to consider it well the other thing about Corey Coleman is he never really had anybody to show him the way he needed yeah. a mentor right I mean he was the classic I need a mentor kind of guy that uh, that would show him how to prepare, how to study, how to watch film, and everything else that you have to do to be a great receiver in the NFL. He never really had that. So if he can uh, prepare the way that he needs to and, and couple that with the talent that he has, we have seen flashes of it. We've definitely seen flashes of that. But again, he's overcoming a lot of things, including the fact that he was the first uh, pick of, of Sashi Brown and, you know, and that just, that really doesn't help his cause. He is the, you know, the first Sashi Brown pick, the first round pick uh, that came after they traded away Carson Wentz, um, whom the coaches wanted. And, uh, and so he, you know, that's just another strike against him. All right. Here's a, uh, here's a random question. The day after Joe Thomas day, uh, we will talk about maybe the player who got the greatest Joe Thomas nickname ever, the pierogi Prince of Parma. Uh, I can't find where I wrote it down, but I do know somebody asked. So the question was basically, uh, what, what's going on with Jamie Meter? We haven't heard a lot about him. Well, what I can say is I, I saw him working a little bit with the first team during the spring. I, I don't see any sort of role change for him. He's probably, you know, fighting for a job on the inside. I, I don't know that a roster spot is guaranteed, but, um, you know, I, I don't think anything has really changed with Meter necessarily from what we've seen the last couple of years. No, you know, I think they um, they look at him as a, a really good role player, and he I can't remember the exact quote right now, but um, but Greg Williams gave him a, a pretty high compliment when we talked to him at minicamp. I'd have to go back and, and look up that quote, but he um, you know he said uh, some good things about his ability. He called him the best at something, and I now I can't remember exactly what it was. It was a very specific thing. I'm gonna um, find it. Yeah, see if you can find it, and. Um, 
And so that said to me that, that they think highly of him and that he will be in there. Obviously, they, they don't have uh, Danny Shelton anymore. So they're looking for guys uh, in that middle that can, you know, just uh, take up some space there and help stop the run. And I think they really believe that Jamie Meter can be one of those guys. So he will be part of the rotation there. I don't know if he'll have a starting job. He might. Um, and he, we have seen him work with the ones in minicamp. Uh, but I definitely think he will be part of the rotation. Yeah, so the, so the guys they have there, and the guys mentioned in this answer are, of course, Larry Ogunjobi, uh, Trevon Coley, Caleb Brantley, who, frankly, we don't really ever talk about, but he had some flashes here and there last year. And then here's what he said about uh, Jamie Meter. Uh, Jamie Meter, probably one of the best run players in the National Football League. Uh, so that that's, sees him as, as strong against the run, and, and that's certainly something the Browns value. Yeah, and again, I thought it was a little bit more specific than that, but um, maybe it was. But, maybe it was something different. Yeah, but that that's still pretty high praise. I mean, if you're better, one of the better run stoppers in the NFL, you're going to make this football team. Um, all right. So, last question here, and this is one that uh, really neither of us are qualified to answer, uh, but we're going to do it anyway. So, Morian Williams tweeted you. And I'm not sure if uh, they were being serious or what, but we're going to answer it. Who do you want to win the World Cup? Uh, I'll be honest, I have not watched as as much World Cup as I usually do. I usually kind of take it all in. I'm not a a huge soccer person, but I do usually watch the World Cup. I've only kind of watched it off and on. Um, I'm kind of in the the England camp. I'd like to see them get it done. Uh, I don't know why. I don't have a good reason for it. Uh, But I think I'd like to see England win the World Cup. Well, Dan, that, that's a good choice. I think um, it, it was interesting because I was actually in Barcelona while the World Cup was going on, and Spain was, was in the World Cup at that time, so it was kind of fun and exciting to be over there. It was going on. You know, it was on every single television in Barcelona, anywhere that we went, uh, so it was kind of an exciting time to be there, um, although it's funny because a lot of people in Barcelona, you know, just don't love, didn't love Spain for some reason it was sort of a weird thing but there's a lot going on in Barcelona in terms of you know Catalonia versus Spain and all different kinds of things that's a history lesson for another day but um and then I was in in LA and everyone was into the World Cup this past weekend in LA and everywhere I went everyone was cheering and excited and, and watching every moment of the World Cup um, but because I was in France just a couple of weeks ago in Paris and they are still in it, I'm going to go with France and that's probably the only reason why. Okay. So there you go. Uh, we managed to come up with, uh, with a couple of, well, here's, see, here's what's interesting because France and England are slated to meet in the final. If they both, uh, if they both win their next two games, they're on opposite sides of the bracket. So, uh, we're setting up like an orange and brown talk world cup, uh, bragging rights match here <laughs> well looking forward to it dan and i you know i'm pretty confident that i'm going to uh kick your behind on this one <laughs> don't ask us to name any players on the teams we picked that's, that's <laughs> the only that's the only rule here all right so that was uh 10 questions i think 10 ish questions uh that our listeners and, and readers submitted to us here over the last couple days so uh we appreciate everyone getting a hold of us, asking us Brown's questions. Um, I'm not sure, Mary Kay, if we're going to be able to get one of these recorded next week because I'm actually going to be going out of town here for the next week or so. 
but if not, we'll be back in a couple weeks with a new Orange and Brown talk. And uh, I think uh, I think we'll have plenty to talk about because training camp will be right around the corner. Yeah, three weeks away. We are almost there. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody.